along to the gardening program here on Midwest Radio on this Saturday morning. Hard to believe we're on the 8th of September. Pori, good Slipping morning to you. Slipping into autumn very, very nicely. Good morning, Yes, Deirdre. Yeah, nice way of putting it. Slipping into autumn. Yeah, isn't yeah, it? Yes, and it is. Well, certainly yeah. the temperatures are, are there. You can, you know, the, the, the rain is back and you it can is. feel it this morning, can't yeah. you? Every bit of dampness. And I was out walking a little bit during the week and I was kind of in foresty areas and you could just start to see the leaves beginning to ever change. so slightly yeah. turning. Now, just oh, a small yeah. hint, but uh, yeah, it had that sense. But autumn, right. it's a lovely, I think it's a lovely time of year anyway. I do like autumn. And I, I was uh, had the pleasure of actually being in Strayed um, on That's right, Thursday. You, you, there was a, a talk there, wasn't there? With, they were celebrating the Autumn Harvest Festival, which I thought was a great, uh, a week-long festivities in Strayed and there were all sorts of different events. Uh, Andy Morden was, was on uh, just before me and talking about health and well-being. Excellent. And then we chatted about, I suppose, autumn gardening. And the point I was making is that autumn is the start of the gardening season that nature itself is is sowing its own seed mm-hmm. and traditionally it has always been the time of year for planting new plants for propagating new plants for planting things like the spring bulbs and um, so you know years years ago before we modernized gardening and put plants into pots it was always autumn was always the time for the the, the planting in particular the sowing and reaping principles and putting down the seeds and and the uh, the cuttings and the hedging plants for the following year and indeed like I said last week planting even some um, vegetable and herb seeds can be done at this time of year but one of the points I made was about the propagation of your own plants and uh, I showed the uh, the audience how to take cuttings from their own plants. So this is one of the, actually I brought one of the plants into the studio today this is a small little parahebe that I took as a cutting mm-hmm. probably a month ago and already you can see the new growth is starting I say, on it's it. Very, it's a very healthy cutting. They root very very quickly at this time of year so um, if people have their favourite gardening plants like hydrangeas or geraniums or bodleias or this is a little what we call a parahebe it's very it's like in the hebe family it's a slow growing evergreen shrub lovely white flowers and um, very simple plant to take from cuttings at this time of year and all you're looking for is pencil length pencil thickness strip off the leaves take off the flowers stick them into a pot or you could use something like a coffee cup. Yes. And for people that follow me on Facebook or Twitter, I actually showed, um, I used one of the Cafarua uh, compostable coffee cups uh, a couple of weeks back to sow some seed of cut and come lettuce, some herbs. Um, but you can use it as a little propagator for cuttings, for the sowing of seeds. Simply just fill it with compost. Mm-hmm. Because it retains the moisture, you can sit it on the windowsill without... Uh, it's not going to fall it's apart not going on to you. Mess. Yeah. You're not going to cause any fuss. And the lid, this lid on this particular cup, is translucent. So it allows probably 50 to 60% of the light down into the cutting or the seeds. Which is just what we need, is it? It's just perfect. And it also retains the moisture. So you simply fill the cup with uh, good quality compost. Have the compost moist but not too wet. Fill it up to about halfway. And then plant some seeds or things like sweet pea seed or any of the flower seeds, mm-hmm. any vegetable seeds if you want, cut and come lettuce. Um, you could even put in things like crest and mustard that for that you can use in your sandwiches and so on. Or indeed you can put small little cuttings and a cup like that you'll fit certainly 15, 16 um, small, maybe four or five inch length cuttings. You simply put the lid back on top, sit it on your windowsill for three to four weeks and the cuttings or the seeds will germinate within the container. You simply take off the lid and once they've once they've germinated, let them grow on. And for the ones that I did on, on the Facebook page, um, they were simply just cut and come lettuce leaves. So you just trim them with the scissors they continue to grow and you have them for several several weeks. So I thought there were, uh, because we have this issue with coffee cups the recycling. Huge issue. 
recycling of coffee cups. Mm. And it's great to see Cafaroo in particular. I know lots of, of the um, forecourts now have these compostable uh, containers. So you can, you can actually plant them in the ground. So a nice little tip for people is to plant up a couple of coffee cups with some spring bulbs. So in that pot or in that coffee cup, you could fit easily six dwarf tulip bulbs, okay, two layers, uh-huh. one and two, and then let them put, let them grow on in the container and then plant them out maybe next spring in pot and all into the ground. The tulips, the roots of it will grow through the compostable container. It will decompose and they will continue to flower. Okay. So you can use it like a little container. So I thought it was a handy little self, little small little propagator. And the lid in particular is the success to it because it keeps the moisture in, it keeps the heat and humidity quite high. And simply just sit it on your windowsill because there's no drip. Yeah, there's, can, no, there's, there's no, no arguments in the yeah. house for, for leaving them there on the windowsill. So it's a perfect way. So look at the point is this is the time of year for taking the cuttings of plants. Mm. It's also the time of year for um, the sowing of many varieties of seed. And you mentioned temperatures of 15, 16 degrees. Yeah, like it's month. not cold by it's any not, means. So no, it's, 14, it's, 17 tomorrow. Yeah. The other point I was making during the week was that the, the soil is, is still quite warm and, and moist. So it's really good planting weather. So if listeners are thinking putting in some spring bulbs or planting winter flowering heathers or planting new hedging plants or whatever, the, the soil conditions are ideal at the moment. The other thing we chatted about was Irish honey and there was a great uh, article in the Irish Times during the week in relation to, in particular, Irish heather honey. And research has shown that our Irish heather honey is as good as the Manuka honey from New Zealand. Yes. And we pay a fortune for it. We do, and, it, and we do pay a fortune. We do. It is incredibly expensive. Yeah. And as you know, I'm a great advocate for Irish honey in particular because most of the honey you buy in the shops is actually non-Irish. It's possibly European and no, lots of it is non-European. So it's coming in from Africa, it's coming in from China. Yeah, because you see, I, if you too actually look at the at the um, jars, you see uh, EU and non-EU. Yeah, and, and that's, they, and which mean really, what does that mean? What does that mean? It's a blend. What it means is it's imported honey from countries that don't have the flora and fauna that we have and they simply just mixed up, put into a jar and, and sold. So my advice is always to look for Irish honey, particularly from your local beekeepers. And here in Ballyhonus, we have the Beekeepers Association in Westport. They have a fantastic club there all around the country. Uh, in Connacht, we've got some fantastic uh, local Irish beekeepers. They've had a fantastic year. The bees have been extremely busy. Which is great to hear because they've had a couple of very lean years. They've had, absolutely. And we'd see it in the trees and the shrubs, the things like the mountain ash are full of berries at the moment. Holly is covered in berries at the moment. Our apple trees are loaded with fruit this year. And that's thanks to the, the very good dry uh, early summer period we had when the bees were out foraging on the on the uh, flowers but that has resulted in a very heavy crop and I have friends in, in Wicklow that, that uh, have bees and I have friends in Westport that have bees and they're all reporting a tremendous year of uh, bee honey so the honey is available at the moment so I have some actually in the garden centre in Turlock and Castlebar we got a consignment in from Westport last night so it is available if people are looking for it and the point I always make that the bee or, or bee which is female of course, uh, collects the honey within, or the, the visits the flowers within a three mile radius of the hive. So in Westport, for example, the, the bees are travelling within the Westport area. Yeah. Uh, not making it to Castlebar, but taking the flora in particular in our native, in the native trees and shrubs, bringing that pollen back into the hive. The honey is not ch- touched by human hand. It's literally taken from the hive, spun, 
and poured into the jars. There's no chemicals, there's nothing added to it. It's, it's as natural pure, as yeah. you can get. But it also is a fantastic product for people that have suffered from uh, allergies, in particular pollen and so on, taking Irish honey on a regular basis, particularly local honey. You, you build up that immune system, your immune system to, to pollen. And this is the time of year to start that process. So... Good, t- good time of year to support your local beekeeper. There's lots of great, um, I think in every ma- major town mm. now, they have, you have a, a bee association or a bee club and do support it. And I presume bees, bees do hibernate throughout the winter months, do well, they? Well, what happens is in a typical hive, if you've got a typical beehive, can have anything up to 40 or 50,000 bees in the middle of the summer. So at the height of the summer, when the hive is full, it's, it's literally 40,000, 50,000 bees. As we go down, the life of a bee, unfortunately... Okay, it's not that long. ...is only three weeks. Oh, OK. That answers the question. So the queen is laying the eggs right through the summer. She starts to slow down now. And the population within the hive goes back to maybe a couple of thousand. And they protect the queen during the winter period. And they, the beekeepers will leave a small amount of honey available to the bees. They feed off that. So a day like today, this morning, yes. the bees ain't going to be out because right. it's, wet, it's wet, it's cold, it's miserable. So they hibernate. So she, the, the queen generally lasts for four to five, maybe six years. Um, and the workers will protect that queen during the winter period and obviously the whole cycle starts again the following spring and and this year it was very very late season the beekeepers were very concerned they actually lost a lot of bees over the winter period because of the wetness yes. so wet weather like this the bee hates it because they can't get on the wing whereas the beautiful summer we've had this year they they've were. been out and that's why the country is full of haws of uh Damson fruit, so, plums, So the pears. pollinating, they were able to get the pollinating done. Exactly. Uh, we have a great crop of honey as a result of all of that. And, and, and our trees are full of seed and berries and, and all that. So that's nature's way. Um, so support your local bee, beekeeper is what, what my advice. You'll get local Irish honey available. We certainly have it in the garden centre at the moment. It tends to run out within a day or two yeah. once it comes in. Um, hopefully we'll have a good... A good uh, a good crop of it for the for the next couple of weeks because there's plenty available at the moment. But also people can do things in their own garden to encourage bees into the garden. And I was making the point in, in Strayed about the sowing of seeds at this time of year and even bulbs like crocuses. The the, uh, the bees love them because the crocus comes, comes into flower in late February and March just as the bee is coming back on the wing uh, coming back out into the garden. Snowdrops are also great. Winter aconites are fantastic as well for bees. And any kind of single flowering plant, the Phacelia that I often mentioned is, is great as well. So any of the wildflowers you can still sow at this time of year um, in, in anticipation of, of the bee coming back into the garden next spring. The other area we, we featured, I've, I've we talked a little bit about the planting of hedging plants because that's we're coming into the time of year for planting hedges. So if listeners are thinking putting in maybe beech later on in the autumn or um, any form of hedge, now is the time to prepare the soil. And you do that by simply getting rid of any, rid of any weeds or grass that might be there uh, in the planting zone at this time of year. Right. So the next dry day, you could treat the soil, get it ready for planting, and the planting then starts any time from the middle of September right through till till really the following February is a great time to put in hedges. But particularly autumn planting, the planting of trees and shrubs and particularly hedging plants um, should be done at this time of year. Heathers, again, they're coming into yes. flower at the moment. And they were great last year because, uh, because I think were as cold and damp as they were um, I really noticed that whatever bit of colour we had it was largely through heathers it was and and they're irrespective of the weather you get whether it's snow, frost, rain or whatever heathers will continue to flower and they flower from 
they'll be coming into flower now in the next couple of weeks but they flower through till the end of April early May they've a very very long flowering pe- period simply because they're flowering in the winter and the, it's like putting them into a fridge it keeps them fresh and it keeps the flowers fresh there's no intense heat whilst they're flowering so they tend to last for such a long period they will grow in any garden soil so winter flowering heathers are, don't require an acid soil they'll actually grow in, in any pH level so if you've got lime in the soil or you've acid soil the uh, the calunas or the winter heathers the ericas will, will um, or the erica carnies will flower through the winter for you in any garden soil and they're great in pots and containers as well for a splash of colour and I would always advise under planting them with some spring bulbs like jet fire daffodils or even crocuses even dwarf tulips will look great um, under heathers and give it an extra splash of colour then in the uh, springtime. Mm. It's also the time of year for planting garlic so if people like their garlic then autumn is and particularly September is the month to get them into the soil because garlic grows through the winter period and then it's ready for harvesting uh, next summer so it needs a long growing period so do plant it over the next couple of weeks and things like the Japanese onion sets which are the winter onion sets again they can be planted at this time of year um, so you know there's lots to be done lawns okay it's difficult at the moment to get yeah. out and, and I'm looking for a window to get uh, trim the, my front lawn the robotic mower is actually still working very well people I are meant asking to ask about you that. about that yeah. yeah so have that in the back lawn um, and that goes out every day and trims them and it actually has done it's been brilliant really it has worked extremely well and uh, has kept the lawn in tip top condition it's lovely and greens because it's it's effectively feeding the lawn as the little grass clippings fall back onto the, the lawn okay. so it's been working probably five months now and uh, good results. And does it go out every single day? Every single day, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. And does, it does different parts of it. Uh, well, it actually does. does it the does. Whole lot. It does the whole lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, no, I, could, I probably, I probably should. <laughs> <laughs> dial it back a small bit and maybe every second day would be okay. enough but yeah. it, it's, I've just set it that well, way yeah, during yeah, the no, summer to keep to, it and to see how well it works to keep out yeah and see how well it works but it's trimming away very very and uh, very effectively um, and um, yeah hasn't given any bother whatsoever so the front lawn needs a bit of a trim all okay. right and, and I'm looking for a bit of a dry <laughs> the only thing, bit of dry weather for ha- that having the back lawn uh, exactly, covered it really exactly. shows up then when, sure the, when the other isn't quite it, as good it sure does so they're the type of things to the ch- people right. just to remind people as well next, next Saturday I won't be here. I'll, I'm actually away next Saturday, uh, so That's okay. I'll be back. Yeah. I'll be back the following Saturday after that, and after today's program at ten o'clock, uh, you can join me on Face FaceTime live on the Horkins website. So any questions we don't get to, I'll answer those uh, after ten Great. on the the Horkins website. Now, Pork, we're gonna go. Actually, I'm gonna go to one of the photographs first. Got, Martin is in Ballyvary, and he sent in. Um, uh, some pictures of a tree outside on the street and last year uh, he cut the top of the tree it was too tall and thin but now it's really grown out and it has it look, I think, fantastic I think shape. it looks like a great tree beautiful yeah it looks uh, like a lime tree yeah so Martin's wondering when is the right time to trim it back well, first of all, looking at the tree, Martin, it's actually absolutely beautiful, beautiful shape, uh, lollipop shape, nice central stem, round head. Um, to be honest, I would leave it alone. I think it's absolutely perfect. But if you need to trim it, then it can be pruned once the foliage has dropped. So any time from the middle of November right through till February or March of next year. But the shape on the tree is actually quite good. So I think the pruning of the top of it has actually got it to fill out really nicely and it's very symmetrical. Um, so it looks really well. It probably isn't going to grow a whole lot taller, maybe another 
you know, three or four feet at most. Um, so I would be inclined to leave it alone unless there's a particular reason Martin needs to trim it from a light level or a, a, a view level. But uh, any pruning should be done on the trees once they're deciduous and you can actually see what you're doing then yeah. because the leaves have gone so leave it for another month or, or six weeks mid-November will be soon enough to prune it back Great now we have a couple of hedging questions um, so somebody first of all is looking to plant a hedge 100 metres to cover but the soil is wet in winter any ideas? Okay well if ground is wet um, the, probably the best hedge of all is hornbeam Carpinus spetulus hornbeam. It looks like beech when it's actually growing. It's got that lovely green, apple green leaf like like uh, green beech has and grows very similar to beech. You can keep it to six or seven feet in height. Um, to cover 100 metres, you're going to need 200 plants. So you put them in the plants 18 inches apart and the right time to plant hornbeam is again mid-November. So what I would do is get the ground ready now. So if there's grass or weeds or vegetation there, just spray that off with a little bit of the weed free 360 okay. which won't contain contaminate the soil and just keep it clean so mark about maybe a metre or 1.2 metres um, of a strip spray that now get it ready and then in November put in your hornbeam at 18 inches uh, spacing so two plants per linear metre and uh, hornbeam will actually tolerate quite wet conditions um, so it's ideal the other one you could plant is willow Willow makes a very good hedge. Um, fast growing, that's the only thing that does require a lot more trimming than the hornbeam. But again, it's uh, it's very simple to grow, and particularly if you want a taller hedge, maybe eight or nine, ten feet. And again, willow tolerates the uh, the wetness really good. Um, alders would be the other one. The alder alder trees make mm-hmm. again like wetness. So hornbeam for me would be the top top one. Top one. Yeah. Um, and does it take long then to come? Is it like no, it's you, actually, you said? It looks a little like beech, but you, it's, it's actually quite faster. Slow growing, you, yeah. yeah, but it, the hornbeam would be faster, but not too overly vigorous. So um, you know, to make a six foot hedge, depending on the size of the plants you put in, of course, it'll take probably four years, four okay. or five years, to make a good six foot solid hedge. Okay, we're going to switch to beech. So for a second. Um, can I take cuttings of beech hedging for to make new plants? It's a copper beech hedge. Yeah, no, the answer is no. The the beech is is propagated from seed, okay. so um, you, you can collect the seed certainly from purple beech and and uh, sow it. But that's a slower process. Look, at my advice is buy some plants in November. They're actually very cheap to buy at that time of year. So for a couple of euro, you'll get um, some really nice strong beech and um, particularly the purple uh, variety. So. Again, beech is planted any time from the middle of November. Once, once, the, once the ground becomes, or once the plant becomes dormant, it can be lifted and transplanted. Um, so look for them, and they're relatively inexpensive to buy. Okay, great. Um, now, is it okay to prune a young lilac tree now? It didn't flower this year. All the foliage is off the top of the tree. There's nothing down further. Okay, well, the, the ideal time or the proper time to prune lilacs or anything that flowers in the springtime is immediately after flowering because it flowers on the growth it makes during the summer. So if you prune it at this time of year, you're going to remove all those flower buds for next spring. Um, so my advice really is leave it alone Wait and see will it flower next spring. You could put a little bit of sulphate of potash around the base of it. That helps to induce it into flower. Leave it alone then till the springtime. See will it bloom next spring. It should do. And at that stage, then prune it hard back. And, um, you know, that, at least then the growth you get during the summer period, it will flower on the following spring. So leave it well enough alone, I think. A little bit of sulphate of potash around the base of it. And then next uh, April, early, well, the end of May, really, once it finishes flowering, give it a good hard trimming back, feed it well, and uh, you'll have it back and you'll rejuvenate the plant Fantastic. and bring it back into good growth again. 
Now we covered uh, boxwood and boxwood blight a little bit on the programme last week. We did. Some people missed the information. Okay. So if we can just maybe <laughs> recap briefly okay, so on bo- that. Boxwood blight. So boxwood, first of all, is that small little, uh, small leaved, often used in uh, containers with a nice cone shape or a cir- circular shape or square shape, or it's often used for hedging as well as a low hedge. And over the last number of years, it's suffering from box blight, which is a yellowing of the foliage. So it's a fungal disease, effectively, a bit like black spot on roses. And um, it can turn the, the lovely green boxwood to a yellowish or orangish colour. That's generally the symptoms. So the, the treatment is um, top top box is the, the name of the fungicide so basically what it is is a fungicide with a fertilizer mixed together it's a green tablet you mix it with a liter of water and you sp- simply spray it onto the foliage of the boxwood and that kills off the fungal disease and gives the whole plant a bit of a tonic and generally I would advise people to be treating if they've got boxwood in the garden to treat it at this time of year because we're coming into that wet period and you tend to get a bit of fungal disease on boxwood in the autumn period so it's a good advice to to treat them even if the boxwood is healthy just to prevent it from from happening so it's a small little container uh, called top box um, small little green tablets you mix them in one litre of water apply it to the foliage and um, it just corrects it keeps them healthy now a couple of people wondering about the dilution rates for zero for the moss control and is it okay to start it now and also a question uh, in relation to planting dwarf daffodils in the lawn afterwards oh so you can do yeah there's nothing the uh, zero isn't a pesticide or a herbicide it's not harmful in other words to the soil or to the plants so if you've got bulbs like snowdrops or daffodils you can use the zero on the lawn no problem whatsoever and indeed you can plant bulbs into the ground uh, afterwards um, in terms of the application rate so a zero is the product to, to control moss in your lawn and I suppose I was advising people last week prevention is better than curing the problem so if you apply zero at this time of year you're just nipping the moss in the bud and you're controlling it and you know we saw huge problems last spring for people so my advice is to apply it now and apply maybe every two months during the winter period just to keep the moss at bay you don't have to rake the, mo- the moss or anything you just apply the, the zero it's a one to ten mix uh, so one litre of um, zero will make up 20 litres or sorry, will make up t- uh, 10 litres of of spray. Right. So you add 10 litres of water to one litre of Ten zero yeah. and then apply it over the lawn area and it literally kills the moss overnight. So it's very, very effective. It also gives the lawn a bit of a tonic as well and helps to green it up and give it a nice colour. And I suppose the advice really at the moment is apply the zero. It's a three-step process really. Put, apply the zero, put on an autumn feed as well to help to feed the lawn and keep it nice and green for the winter. And if you have have any broadleaf weeds they can be treated in a couple of weeks time um, as well okay uh, people wondering if there's any alternative to using trigger for leather jackets not a- available maybe everywhere after I think the EU well trigger yeah, yeah yeah so that so there's been lots of changes in terms of uh, pesticides in particular particularly the larger quantities um, so the likes of trigger isn't available now to the amateur gardener unless the amateur gardener has a certificate to, to apply it um, Having said all that, leather jackets are the larvae of the daddy long legs and they're laid in the autumn at this time of year. So um, the treatment to use really is the nematodes. I mentioned this last week. So you can apply the nematodes through a watering can right through the months of September. They're very effective on leather jackets, vine weevil and most grubs in the garden. Um, So pop into your local garden centre, ask for the nematodes and uh, apply those. They're a safe, natural treatment and they're very very effective a lot of the growers now have switched over to the nematodes instead of the uh, traditional 
pesticides. Plants, okay. So far more effective. And making things a bit more organic greener, as well. Yes. Greener. Greener. Hashtag green. Hashtag 30 days greener. <laughs> <laughs> we were talking about that a little bit earlier on, um, which I think is a bit of a movement on the go at the moment, making small changes to improve uh, the environment generally. Absolutely. Uh, now, can I, I got given some lupins this year. It's my first time having them. They seem to be producing seeds now. When I collect the seeds, can I plant them straight out and could I plant them now or would it be better to wait till spring? A great question. Yeah, great brilliant. question. So, first of all, as you're collecting, and this is a great time of year for collecting seed on all herbaceous plants. So, if you've got um, the, the likes of lupins or delphiniums or foxgloves, you can simply take the seed now. Um, and uh, normally it's better to store the seed in, in a brown envelope for a couple of weeks. You want the seed to go from kind of light green to brownish in colour before you sow them. But the lupin seed can be sown any time from October onwards. Uh, and again, you can either sow them directly into the garden soil, you can sow them in the coffee cup like we chatted yeah, about, yeah. or you can sow them in little seed trays cover them with cling film, sit them on your windowsill or in your greenhouse and they'll germinate, germinate within a, a three-week period. Um, you simply pot them up into small little pots, a bit like I've done with this cutting, and then keep them, I would keep them in a greenhouse tunnel, maybe a garage window, somewhere inside protected from the elements of winter or else put them into a little cloche outside um, for the winter. They are frost hardy but you know yourself with the misery of winter with slugs and snails, if you can have them in a slightly protected environment they'll do so much better and then you can plant those lupin plants out in February, March of next year to flower next, next summer for you. So it's a great way of propagating plants. Now if you take the seed off a pink lupin mm. you won't know what colour you get you oh. because it'll be pollinated the flowers will have been pollinated. The bees may have visited some white flowers before they visit the pink flower. Okay. So you'll end up with a hybrid of different colours. So many see, many plants don't come true to type. And is that why you see so many multicoloured lupins? You know, you exactly. Yeah. That's exactly the reason that you find, you know, you so many so many different colours and different varieties. So that'll be now they'll they'll flower perfectly and they'll grow exactly the same as the the ones you've taken them for, but there'll be a little bit of a surprise. Okay, there too. I, well, I kind of like that surprise. Yeah. yeah. So it's a it's so so yeah, a great time of year to collect seed. I mean, that's what nature is doing at the moment. If you think about it, the lupin seed, if you don't collect it, will fall to the ground. It'll ripen in the soil. It'll start to germinate. And, and grow on for next year. But it's better to take them and then keep that, control the process and keep the old slugs and snails. And mice will often eat seed as well. They love um, lupin seed or they love those kind of fleshy, larger seeds. So um, it's better to sow them in the coffee cup or in a tray or in a container and kind of control the process. Yes. Just but they're easy. They're easy to grow and it's a great time for, for sowing because in February it can be difficult to get those temperatures, the temperatures we're getting at the and moment. And it can be difficult to be enthusiastic and go to, out and... That and, is so uh, true. You know, whatever about the temperatures, it thinks, you know, it's the end of the wet winter or it whatever. Is. Yeah, it's so hard to motivate it's hard ourselves. To motivate yeah, we'll be doing our best to motivate yeah. them but next next March. But uh, yeah, it's a great time to... Uh, I mean, my grandmother used to always sow her sweet peas at this time of year in October, September, October because you had the natural temperatures temperatures to get them germinated and grown. She used to grow the lobelias and white alisum all in the autumn and overwinter them then for the winter okay. in, in greenhouses and, and plant them out then in spring. And you always got a jump start, a head start on anything that's been sown in the in the springtime. So it's a great time. And lots of vegetables. I mentioned this last week. Mm. Things like we got actually a great response to the I mentioned a, a carrot variety called Eskimo that you can sow at this time of year that germinates in the autumn, grows through the winter and then is is produces brilliant carrots next uh, summer. Um, but there's lots of other cabbage varieties and lettuce varieties and herbs that you can sow from seed at this time of year. 
Now, somebody is wondering um, about getting the bees and hive. They've never seen hives for sale anywhere. I... Well, my advice is, look, join your local yes. bee club because yeah. there's a lot to learn. I mean, the simple thing is buying the hive. <laughs> you need to learn how to look after bees. So, um, and many, most of the of the clubs run courses, particularly over the winter series. So, contact your local bee. Uh, keeping club. There's lots of them available. The names are all available on the um, Bee Federation website and certainly Westport Club have a great one. Uh, the guys here in Ballyhonas have a super club as well. Ballina have a very, very strong club. So there's plenty of them in your locality. Join them, learn about how to care for bees and maybe start getting into bees then next spring and summer rather than at this time of year. Okay, a couple of questions about ripening fruit. Um, some One person's wondering about getting pears to ripen. Have you any suggestions? Well, and yeah. also, uh, people picking apples, they'd like to know how best to store them and will they ripen during storage? Yes, they will. And uh, apples in particular, I mentioned this last week, particularly red apples, the birds just love them and will devour them and the wasps will pay them a visit as well. So my advice is to harvest your apples and they will ripen over the autumn period. Generally with apples, you, you select the ones, you eat the ones that are bruised or damaged or that have fallen and there's a bit of a knock or mark in them. Use them up straight away. Try to store apples that haven't been damaged. Clean them and um, wrap them in newspaper and put them into uh, crates or boxes and keep them in a dark, cool area and they'll ripen away um, over the winter period. Some varieties store better than others, so varieties like Bramley Seedling, um, like James Greaves, store very well. Others like Beauty of Bath, Katie, the, re- the red type apples or the softer apples, you need to use first because they, they go off that little bit quicker. But do store them at this time of year. If you need to ripen anything, mm-hmm. a great way to ripen fruit is to put a little bit of a banana into the box or the area because banana, you often get the smell of that ethylene gas of bananas and bananas, you're always told never put bananas with other fruit because it accelerates the ripening process. So if you've got green tomatoes and you want to turn them red, mm-hmm. stick a little bit of banana into a into a, a bag, put your tomatoes into it and they'll ripen within a, a couple of days. So or within is a week. that banana peel or banana hole? You can just, you can, a, a banana hole, anything with the skin or okay, even so using the skin itself is very good. It releases that gas. Um, in relation to pears, Pears, you have loads of different varieties. Some ripen early, like Williams Bonchitin is an early fruiting or an early ripening varieties. Others like Conference, they're the hard pears that really are mm. tough as old boots. They should be left on the tree as long as possible. And generally the birds won't bother with them. They'll they, leave them alone. Because they're too hard. Because they're too hard, yeah. They need actually a little bit of frost. So conference pears are not normally ready for ripening until about the end of October, the first week of November. Now do check them because fruit is ripening uh, quite fast this year. But you'll know, you know, you, you should be able to make a, a fingerprint indentation on the fruit. That will give you an indication that it's ready to ripen. And pears will ripen indoors as well. But for varieties like conference, which is a long uh, elongated pear, very, very tough skin on it, um, it needs that cold period. It needs actually a little bit of frost to, to ripen it. So I generally leave them on the trees till about the end of October, the first week in November, and then bring them in. So that's, in general, that's, that's the... That's pears and apples. That's pears, apples, tomatoes, and the whole, the whole shebang, yeah. Okay, a listener, Jerry, has sent in two photographs uh, of a, one plant in a pot. Yeah, and then boxwood, I, yeah. Boxwood, and I think a rowan tree, It looks possibly. like a rowan, yeah, yeah. the sorbus, okay. yeah. Um, so... 
both are suffering, <laughs> as you can see. Uh, so the rowan tree should have berries on it. Uh, the other trees bloomed well this year, but it didn't. And also uh, the box uh, plant is um, kind of a, a bit shook it's looking bit on sad. one side. It's yeah. a bit sad. Yeah. And that, hap- that can happen with boxwood. It's in a pot, we should say to listeners. It's actually planted mm. in a pot. So it, look at it, the boxwood has come under a bit of stress. And in, when they're in pots, um, particularly it, it, it possibly was up against a wall or the back of it was shaded and it's, and it's kind of died on the on the back side as it were so it's bare on the back some green on the front but also I would guess that at, at some stages it maybe has dried out a little bit in the pot my advice with this one is to take it out of the container plant it into the garden soil and prune it back and boxwood does respond to pruning so any of the dead wood can be actually pruned out and taken away even the top growth should be shortened back a bit of it so give it all a bit of a, a trimming back and a tidying up replant it into the garden soil Give it a good feed next spring and that plant will come back into growth again and be perfectly fine. So it's just got a little bit of hardship. The roan tree is is something similar. It's, it, when you look at the, the uh, photographs, mm. there are bits of dead wood in it, some bits growing. Um, it's planted with a lot. There's a lot of gravel around the base of it. And my guess with that tree is that it's actually planted too deeply. And that can happen with trees. P- people may plant them slightly deeper, four, five, six inches will make all the difference. The roots, if they're down too low in the soil, don't get enough oxygen and the tree just starts to go back and back slowly on itself and that's uh, quite so again my advice here is to trim off the deadwood on the on the sorbus on the roan tree lift the tree in november and replant it and you can plant it back into the same location but just bring it up, bring up the stem bring it up a little bit higher um re-stake it as as the listener has done and then give it a good feed next spring it'll come back into growth again Mountain ash are generally very easy to grow, but if you plant trees that little bit deeper than their than the original mark, they can suffer. Okay, they're just not getting the you're oxygen. Make, you're making them struggle yeah, a small bit. Yeah, yeah. the roots are con- consistently dying away. They're producing new roots and they're dying away, so the tree actually starts to just go back. back, back, back now, a couple of questions on laurels. I've a two-year-old laurel hedge. When would be the best time to prune it? And Portuguese laurel, uh, how high can it grow? And how do you stop regular laurel from growing wild? Okay, and, and some very good points there. So first of all, and it, it is, it is I suppose, laurel to me, the common laurel was planted, a lot of it was planted in the last number of years because it was hardy. It, it tolerates the, the cold winter weathers really well. It's very fast growing, yes. which is great in one sense, but in the other, on the other side of it, it tends to be overly vigorous. And if you want to hedge, say, up to six feet, I generally don't recommend common laurel because there's too much maintenance and, and trimming to the hedge. So you have to be cutting it two or three times a year. You do. As you well know. Yes. Um, so if you want if you want to hedge, say, four, five, six feet high, Portuguese laurel is actually a better choice. It's slower growing. It only puts on about six or eight inches per year. It makes a small, dense, compact hedge up to six, seven feet. It's perfect at that level. And it only needs to be trimmed once a year. Similar with beech. Beech is a slow-growing hedge. So I suppose my advice is to select the plant suitable to the type of hedge you're trying to create. If you want a tall hedge, 8, 10, 15 feet tall, then common laurel is superb. It's great for that because it's vigorous, it's tall, it's evergreen. Um, you might have a bit of a job keeping it trimmed at that height, but it's suitable for larger hedges. So for shorter hedges, I would go for varieties like the privet, um, like the Portuguese laurel, B2, 
beech makes a great hedge. Berberus makes a lovely hedge as well, up to six feet. In terms of trimming, when the listener should have trimmed them, they're two years in the ground, they should have been trimmed from the year you put them in. So once you put the beech or laurel or any of the hedges in, you trim the tops of them, you trim the sides. Even though you might be only taking an inch or two inches off the top of them, that helps to thicken them out. Now, the listener can, all, can cut them at this time of year as well. Yeah. So you can tidy up your hedges before winter sets in. Um, so again, go out this weekend or over the some evening this this coming week and give the trim, the hedges a light trimming back don't prune them too severely but certainly take six or eight inches of growth all around the hedge top and sides trim them back don't feed them until next spring so really just tidy them up for the winter and we'll remember we're coming at the time of year for planting new hedges but do get some advice in terms of the type of plant that's suitable because a hedge is for life. <laughs> it is, yeah. It's a, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Once you, once you, And there's pluses and minuses with them all, in fairness. Th- there is a course. Yeah. There is a yeah. course. But I would be on the side of waiting an extra two or three years for the height for that for that but because the maintenance is going to go on for the next 50 years yeah. and we see it with Lelandia in particular where people are now taking them out again yeah. because they grew too fast and too vigorous so just you know be careful in the selection of the plant fast is not always best fast growing you know, it's ideally, yeah, we love to have it o- a hedge overnight, but you're better to pick something like the Portuguese laurel or beech. I'm a great fan of beech. I have beech myself. It's a fantastic hedge. It does take a number of years to get to the, the height you want to get yes. it to, but long term, it's so easy to maintain, as is Portuguese laurel, as is um, the Berberus, anything in the Berberus family. Um, apple green, the, the Griselinia, is very easy to manage as well. So certain hedges are very easy to trim. Others are quite vigorous, like common laurels. So just be careful where, where you're planting it. Lovely. Can I take slips of the Bodleia and Hydrangea plants and do I need a special compost? Uh, well, the compost to use is get ordinary garden compost in your local garden centre and mix some perlite or sand through it. So you're looking for a nice gritty mixture. Um, and that's perfect for the cuttings of all plants. So hydrangeas, yeah, this is the time of year to th- take them and Bodleia. Bodleia have just gone out of flower, nearly gone out of flower now. So again, pencil length, pencil thickness, strip off all the leaves, take off any flowers or flower buds, dip them into a bit of rooting powder, get your coffee cup or get a container, put, put the compost in, put your cuttings in and cover them with a polythene bag and they'll root in three to four weeks at this time of year. Now, a couple of questions in relation to weeds. I have Johnson weed in my garden. Is okay. that common in Ireland? It's getting more common. So Johnson weed is, is a grass. It's a, a Johnson grass, so it's a grass-like weed. Uh, you can see it in lawns. You can see it in shrubberies. It's basically like any weed. It just self-seeds. It produces mm. the little grass seed heads and um, they just spread around. Now, if it's growing on patios and driveways or in gravel areas, you can use something like the weed free 360 to control it at this time of year. If it's in your lawn you just have to suffer with it because there's no weed killer that will differentiate between the Johnson's weed and the common grass. So it depends where the listener has it grown. Maybe if they send in a photograph of where it's Mm. growing and we'll address it. Yeah. Uh, should I leave long time between putting on the zero uh, and putting on the Dicofar in the lawn, asks Joe and Jume. Right, so the, the, there are two different products. So the zero is used to control the, the moss. Um, so my advice is put on the zero first. You can put on a feed then on the same day if you want, Joan. And basically what the feed does, the, moss con- the zero controls the moss. The feed will get obviously the grass growing, but all, it also softens up the weeds as well. And if you leave that then for maybe two weeks to put the tiger far on that 
gives you the best control in the broadleaf weeds. So the dicofar is used to control weeds like daisies and clover and so on in the lawn. So f- putting on the zero, feeding first, and then leave it about a fortnight to three weeks for the weeds to show themselves and become softer and more susceptible to the dicofar. Okay, somebody says the talk on Thursday night was excellent and oh, straight, so Lovely. thank you very much. Um, Somebody else wondering, is it okay to use rhubarb at this time of the year? Why not? A rhubarb tart in September. Or Heaven. crumble. Or crumble. Now look, ideally you should stop harvesting um, rhubarb by July to give it enough time to kind of uh, build up some energy for next year. But taking half a dozen sticks or a dozen sticks off a, a rhubarb clump won't do it any damage at this time of year. Don't keep picking it, but... A once-off. A once-off. <laughs> it's no okay. harm. And rhubarb has actually got a second lease of life because the rain, we, you know, it, it suffered a little bit in the summer. It was beginning to look sad. As soon as the rain came, it it's popped up again. It's got actually re, reinvigorated okay. the clumps. So that's why you're, you're getting a second flush of growth. Um, my spuds failed this year. I had great stalks, but no spud. Why? Well, look, the spuds, the one thing that spuds need is moisture, plenty of water. And this year they have suffered. The crops are smaller, the, the tubers are smaller, particularly if your soil is anyway free draining um, and, or, or, and or if you haven't irrigated them, water them. So uh, potatoes certainly are, they grew well, but the, the tubers in, in many instances haven't formed properly, just down to the very dry soil there. Okay. They normally do so well in our summers because we get enough moisture to keep them going. But this year they certainly came under pressure. Where can I get the daffodils Jetfire? You'll get them in, in Hawkins Garden Centre or any local garden centre should have them. Jetfire is the dwarf um, narcissi or daffodil. So it only grows about eight inches high. It's bright yellow with an orange trumpet. And the reason I know that is that I've planted them all up along my driveway. Okay. And, and they're literally growing in gravel. And they grow every year. They're there probably eight or ten years now and they just come back year after year and multiply. So it's a lovely dwarf variety called Jetfire. It's got this brilliant orange trumpet with a yellow uh, yellow petals at the back of it and it's quite short. So it's perfect in pots and containers, driveways, flower borders, through heathers, wherever. It's a really nice variety. Okay, staying with uh, flowers for the spring, I was looking to plant all white flowering spring bulbs. Are there any other than snowdrops and when to plant? Lots. There are loads of different uh, uh, white flowering bulbs. So you've got things like Shinodoxia is a lovely, it comes in blue and white, but the white, white varieties are absolutely lovely. So Shinodoxia is a really nice uh, bulb, quite short, about eight inches in height and um, forms lovely clumps and you can buy it in, in the in the white colour. Uh, irises will be available in, in pure white. You'll get white tulips, you'll get white narcissi, um, white daffodils, um, snowdrops we mentioned hyacinths which are beautifully scented they'll be white as well so if you if white is your thing yep. then certainly again pop into your local garden centre this time of year always get your bulbs in September if you can the best selection are available at the moment you leave it a couple of weeks time you'll be back to a more limited colour so go into your local garden centre now they'll have plenty of bulbs white bulbs available paper whites are lovely as well you know the little scented the, yeah. paper whites they can be grown inside and pure white flowers for Christmas Absolutely lovely. Uh, now, Porik, I live on an elevated site. I set Italian alder for windbreak. Some have grown, some have not taken off at all. I set 26, 14 have not taken off. Uh, I've replaced about 10 already. Daniel is in Castlebar and he sent us some photographs. Right, and yeah, looking at the and photographs, look, yeah. he describes it very well. Some of them are actually growing really well. Mm. 
in, in there's a cluster there of three or four that are growing really strongly and others are suffering. Now the wind will have a natural effect on all trees, no matter what you put in. And alder are actually quite tolerant of wind and they're also quite tolerant of um, wet conditions. They're one of those trees that tolerate wet conditions and should be relatively fast growing. I do notice around the trees there's a good bit of grass growing around them, around the base of them. So the first thing I would do is remove that and simply just spray that off. You don't need to go pulling it off or strimming it. Um, literally just take that away. Having grass at the base of trees obviously competes with the trees, but also if you're strimming around the base of the, the stems, you can damage the trees. You can whip the bark and damage the actual stems. So for, the first thing I would do is clean off any grass that's there at uh, Leave them alone, really, for the autumn, winter. There's nothing you can do at this time of year apart from get, take the weeds away mm-hmm. and the grass away. And then next spring, put on the Osmo Pro 6 fertiliser to feed them and bring them back into, into good condition. Um, and it'll just need that. They'll need to be encouraged on and brought on. So get rid of the grass, really, and then feed them next spring. OK, and very finally and very quickly, I have a red robin shrub that is top-heavy, bare at the bottom. Can I cut it back now and how severe? You can cut Fortinia Red Robin quite severe, so you can go literally halfway back if you wish and it will reshoot again. Um, so that can be done at this time of year. Now it will remain bare for the winter and it'll be March or April before it'll start to come back into growth. So look, cut it back by two or three feet, um, shorten it back, feed it next spring and it'll be back into full condition. And Fortinia Red Robin needs that regular pruning because it tends to get uh, a bit top heavy and, mm. and the more you trim it, the bushier, the fuller. Like the Martin that had the tree, the 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 uh, lime tree that yes. he pruned back, it created a lovely bushy effect. The same thing will happen with Fortinia red robin if you trim it. Okay, we're going to have to leave it there. I'm afraid. So for I won't it. be here next yeah, week. Next week. Uh, but I'll be here the following I will Saturday. Be, <laughs> And uh, normal service resumes <laughs> exactly, and uh, we'll be here right through anyway till the end of October. After yeah. that, and also people can join me at ten o'clock on the uh, Horkin Facebook Live. I'll answer any questions that we didn't get to, uh, which was quite a few, to be honest. Okay, uh, that's it. Thank you very Thanks, much Deirdre. indeed, Porek. Not at all. Stand by. Michael Neary is coming your way directly after the news at ten, which is on the way next. Until next Saturday, from me. Good morning to you.